How's everybody doing? I, uh, I thought about it this morning in the upstairs service. I thought, what would make me feel like worshiping? And uh, other than Jesus, like, that's the obvious answer, but I thought, what would get me in an, an attitude of worshiping? I thought, you know, for me growing up, I grew up in the church, so I was there all the time, but, but I think if I hadn't, just knowing that I was welcome. You ever thought about just how simple of a concept that is? I had a lady message me um, a while back, and she said, I, she texted me after, she said, it was a great sermon, but I, I didn't feel very welcome. And I was thankful for her honesty, and I thought, you know, that's something so small that I, I just want you to know that as you're here this morning, you are welcome. That this is God's house. I know sometimes as church people, we feel like this is, this is their church. This, this is God's house. This is his space. It belongs to him. Not to me, not to you, but to him. And we're here to worship his name. Amen. We're going to dive into the word this morning, but before we do, uh, before we do, I want to go to the Lord and, and just be thankful for his grace and his mercy. We're going to pray a prayer of confession and just, I want you to know, look, whatever you came in here with this morning, whether it's bitterness, burden, suffering, trials, whatever it is, that you came in, baggage that you're carrying, coming into the space, that you can let it go. Just enjoy his presence. Heavenly Father, we come to you and we worship you. God, we thank you so much that we can come into this place and know that it is not a question of whether you're going to be here or whether you want to, to speak to us or whether you want to be in our presence. God, you want to be with us far more than we could ever want to be with you. And so, God, it's entirely dependent on us listening on us having an open heart and an open mind. And we want to begin, Lord God, by just saying, every one of us, God, we have fallen short of your glorious standard. God, there are ways this week, even just this week, God, that we have not loved you with our whole heart, that we have not loved our neighbor as ourselves, God, me included. And God, I just pray that we would just put our hands out open to the sky, Lord God. I pray that we would place every burden, every sin, everything that keeps us away from you, God, that we would place it in our hands. Heavenly Father, we take a few moments of silence to reflect on every way that we've not loved you or loved our neighbor. God, we thank you that there is nothing, nothing that could be placed in our hands, in our minds right now, Lord God, that we just thought of that your grace doesn't cover. Lord, we thank you that your forgiveness is deep. It is unending. We thank you for your forgiveness. And God, we take whatever's in our hand and we drop it at the foot of the cross. Thank you for your forgiveness, Lord. Turn to whoever's next to you this morning. Let them know. Both sides, let them know. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. And now, as forgiven sons and daughters of God, we can turn to his word. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 1 this morning. Philippians chapter 1, verses 21 through 30. Philippians 1, 21 through 30. And uh, Jordan, can you shut those doors for us? Um, the chainsaw across the street won't. Both, but the reds, the reds. Philippians chapter 1 this morning, verses 21 through 30. Philippians 1, 21 through 30. I'm going to read it once for us. We'll end up reading it twice, but I want it to be fresh in your minds. I want you to hear it. This is the Apostle Paul 
writing to the church in Philippi. And as he's writing this, he's writing from prison. So Paul is imprisoned, and he's writing to the church that he cares for in Philippi from prison. And this is what he says. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain. And I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you that as I just read your word, Lord, I could step back from this mic. I could walk out of this church, and God, uh, your word will not return void. It is enough. Heavenly Father, you don't need me to speak. But I believe, God, that you've called me to speak this morning, and so I thank you humbly, Lord God. I, I just thank you for that opportunity. And God, I pray that any word that's not of you would fall to the ground and be forgotten. But God, that every word out of my mouth that you intend to be shared from your word, God, would reach its target with an open heart and an open mind. God, thank you for your word. Amen. Amen. Paul writes this from, uh, from prison to the church in Philippi, and what I, what I want to talk about this morning is a Christ-centered life. God has put it on my heart the last few weeks, the last few months, that I believe he is calling his church back to him to make him the foundation of our being, both individually and corporately to say, you know what, if Jesus is who he says he is, then he should be the center of all that we do. And when I think of a person who ministers, who lives their life with Christ at the center, I can't think of anyone who's a better example than the Apostle Paul. But I believe as we look at his life this morning that this is so important for the church to be reminded to say Christ should be the, the core of who we are. And we're going to pull five things from Paul's letter to Philippi this morning that I believe are characteristic of a Christ-centered life. The Apostle Paul, uh, if you don't know where he's coming from, keep in mind, I want you to hear this morning, especially if you're in a place where you feel like, you know what, I don't really even know Jesus, or I don't, I don't really feel a deep uh, relationship with him, I want you to be reminded that the Apostle Paul was formerly called Saul, that he was a devout Jew who hated Christians. The Apostle Paul was not only not, only not Christ-centered at one point in his life, he was the antithesis to who Christ was, he was fully against him. He was an enemy of Jesus Christ. But one day, Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus, and it changed his entire life. And I would say from that moment on, from the moment he was blinded by witnessing Jesus for the rest of his life, that Paul lived with Christ at the center of his life. This is a man who preached the gospel. He traveled over 10,000 miles sharing the word of Jesus Christ. Today, sometimes I struggle to go 20. 
10,000 miles sharing the word of Jesus Christ. This is a man that planted 20-plus churches as he went. 20-plus new churches directly from his involvement were planted. This is a man who, in the course of his ministry, was imprisoned at least three times. This is a man who was in his last, in one of his last imprisonments, was shipwrecked on the way to the prison. And instead of hating the people who, who he was with, his, his guards, he prayed for them and loved them and cared for them. He didn't run away. He cared for the guards that had imprisoned him. This is a man who lived with Christ at his center from the moment he met Jesus to the day that his head was removed for his fate in Rome. This is a Christ-centered individual, and I believe that looking at his life this morning, we can take a few notes on what it looks like to have Jesus Christ at the center of our lives. Now, I want to tell you that as I read Paul, if you read Paul and your mind doesn't go, I'm falling short of where he's at, then you're not normal. I read Paul and I think, man, if I could just be like that guy. This is a tough, this is a tough dude. He wrote over half, uh, around half of the New Testament. I mean, this guy is someone to look up to in the faith. Now, he's not Jesus. He made mistakes. In fact, at one point, he said, of sinners, I am the worst. But Paul did it well. And so as you hear these five things this morning, I want you to know that if, if you're like me, maybe you're not, maybe you're here and you're perfect this morning, but I doubt it. If you're like me, you'll hear these things and you go, you know what, I've fallen short on at least one or two of these. But I believe that God is calling us as a church above all else to reflect and say, as the body of Christ, where are we not looking like the body of Christ? Amen? I believe the church is in a position today where we honestly need to reflect all of the church, especially in America. We need to reflect and go, how can we look more like Jesus in the world? And so we're going to look at these five things this morning. We're going to begin here. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. The first thing that I see in Paul's Christ-centered life is this. Paul, Paul embraces death. Now hear me. Paul doesn't welcome death as if it's a, a thing he's seeking. He doesn't seek death, but he says if death is coming, I embrace it because he understood who Jesus is. Jesus didn't just die on the cross for your sins. He rose from the grave to let you know that he is offering you eternity. And so Paul says, if I'm going to live, it's in Christ. If I'm going to die, it's actually gain. Because Paul knew that to die was just to be with the Lord. There's a saying that goes, and I think we talked about it last week, those who are born once die twice. Those who are born twice die once. Paul understood that when Jesus said that if you believe in me, you'll have eternal life, he wasn't just saying some kind of cute saying that would make you feel better. He actually meant that if you will place your faith in Jesus Christ, he is offering you eternity with the Lord. So Paul says, if I'm going to die, I know I have confidence. It's not just a, a Christianism. It's something I actually believe that if I'm about to die, I know I'll be with the Lord. I've been there, especially at funerals, and I've done a, a lot of funerals this year, and, and sometimes I think we say, you know, they're in a better place now. Or we say, uh, there, there's no more sickness or sorrow or death or pain. But the truth is, look, church, when we say that to someone who believes in Jesus Christ, we're not just saying that to make them feel better. Amen? We're saying that because it is actually, if you thought of that, it's actually true that when someone places their faith in Jesus Christ, it is actually true that there is no more sadness, there is no more sickness, there's no more tears, no more pain. Death has lost its sting. And Paul says it like he means it. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. But Paul also says that if I'm going to live, 
If I die, it's to gain. But if I'm going to live, I'm going to live with a purpose. I'm going to live like my life has meaning. He says, if I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. The second thing we see in a Christ-centered life with the example of Paul is that if, if you are alive, know that there is a reason for your life. Church, I believe that God is calling us to, to wake up and to realize, you know what? If I opened my eyes this morning, if I stepped out of bed, if I drew breath in my lungs, then God has a purpose for me to be here. God has a reason that I am walking this earth right now. God has created me for a purpose. Now, I know that in Western culture, there is some idea that, well, I'm here with a purpose. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get things accomplished. I'm going to make money. I'm going to be successful. I'm going to have friends. I'm going to have family. I want you to hear the, second, the third thing I see in Paul's Christ-centered life. But before we do that, living with a purpose. Paul is a spiritual giant. As I said, if you look at him, it's hard not to look up to him. But I want to share with you someone who's a little lesser known. His name was David Brainerd. David Brainerd was a man in the 18th century who was a pastor he lived 29 years on this earth. That means that in June of next year, I will have lived as long as David Brainerd lived. But David Brainerd knew, the same as Paul, that if he was alive, then he had a reason to be alive, and that if he died, he welcomed it because he, he'd be with Christ. And so David Brainerd made his years count. And church, if you hear nothing else this morning, look, I believe the church, it is, it's time to make our lives count for Christ. David Brainerd lived 29 years. He was an itinerant preacher who traveled from New England to New York and back and forth and back and forth, and he preached the word of God. And he knew that he had to get his, his butt moving to share the word because time was valuable, and so he made every second count preaching the word. But at some point, David Brainerd heard God say to him, I don't want you to preach to the church people anymore. I want you to go to the Native Americans. So David Brainerd, in a time that it was not popular to minister to the Native American population, left and went out into their land to preach to them. In a few short years, David Brainerd started churches, schools, hospitals, carpentry shops. He changed the entire atmosphere for these people. He brought thousands of lives to Christ. And in doing so, he made every minute count until the very day he, he contracted tuberculosis from being out in the wild, contracted tuberculosis, and died at 29 years old. And what I'm telling you is there are thousands of people right now. Now, I'm not telling you that your life has got to be documented or that you're trying to be some big name, but I'm telling you, David Brainerd, there was nothing special about him from the human eyes. David Brainerd was a guy, he wasn't an excellent preacher. He wasn't a, a, a skilled orator. He wasn't some guy that had a great business mind. He wasn't a guy that was super popular with his friends. He was simply a guy that believed that if Jesus Christ died for him and rose from the grave, then he should share about it and that his life had a purpose. And so he made every second that he was on this earth count. Church, I believe that it's time for us to do the same. Living with a purpose. But hear me out. The other thing that Paul says, I'm torn between the two, to be with Christ, which is better by far, but it's necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress, your progress, and joy in the faith. Church, I believe with all my heart, and I'm working on it every day, I believe that God has made you, each and every one of you, with a purpose. You are here for a reason. 
But I want you to know that I also deeply believe that God has said that your purpose is to love God and to love your neighbor. You weren't just made with a purpose. You were made to purposefully put others before yourself. Struggle with that. I struggle with that. The truth is, I believe that the human heart is one of the most selfish things that has ever been in existence since the fall. Our natural gear is to look out for us. But in Christ, he transforms our minds to not only be purposeful in what we do, but to purposely put others before ourselves. The sanctity of marriage has declined in a great deal in the past 50, 60, 100 years. And I want you to know that I believe that it is partially the pastor that is to blame for a very simple reason. God says, I am love. He calls us to love him and to love our neighbor. And we have allowed the marriage relationship especially to exhibit a love that is about emotion. That's not what love is. Your purpose is to love God and to love your neighbor. And I'm here to tell you this morning that love is simply the committed decision to put someone else before yourself. So if God says, love me and love your neighbor, what he is saying is, put me before you and put my people before you. Putting others first is what you were created to do. I remember I thought of a ministry that as a, a kid, or not a kid, as a late teenager and young adult, I, I'd get to help out a little bit in, and, and it was very similar to our food pantry in Spain, but they would come into this space and it was a relatively good-looking space. It was, it was nice. And what they would do is they would open it up a couple times a month. And they would have clothes, and they would have food, a lot like we do. And they would have things, games for the kids. They'd have programs to help people get plugged into jobs, things like this. And they would, they would welcome people in, all kinds of people. They didn't ask whether they deserved the things that they were offering or not, or whether they were in need. They just welcomed everybody in, literally everybody. And they would help them. They would put them first. Now, I remember initially experiencing this ministry, and I'm watching it, and I'm thinking, man, this place is getting wrecked. There's trash everywhere. There's clothes on the floor. There's, there's food around. Like I'm, like, I'm thinking, man, that my experience of people in general, and especially church people, is they're going to be upset that this space is messed up. And the, the day finishes, and, and there's this, this you know, busyness that comes, and I'm, I'm expecting some degree of upset, being upset because the, the space is messed up. And I remember talking to this lady, and, and the lady goes, I said, look, you know, are, are you guys upset that you're, you're building? It's trashed. Upset? But God gave us this building. And God gave us these people to love. God gave us this space to love them. It's what we were created to do. I watched as a group of people collectively, as a, as a ministry, They never had a, a, a bit in their mind that was thinking, these people need to clean up around here. They just knew that if I'm living the gospel of Jesus Christ, that means I'm putting those people before me. If I'm living in a way that, that truly loves these people, then if they come in and destroy the place, it doesn't matter. I put them first. It's not a, it's not a little thing, church. I don't think it's a thing we pick and choose. Look, if, if we're looking at Jesus, the example of Jesus Christ, he put others first. He didn't ask what they gave in return. He didn't put some first and others he didn't. He, everyone he came in contact with, he put first. 
It is what we are called to do. It is not easy, but I'm telling you that's who Jesus is. And church, I believe with all my heart that the body of Christ, that Jesus, that God is calling us as the church to come back to the time that we actually look like Jesus looked. That we actually consciously say, my job is every day to look a little more like Jesus. Not to pick and choose. We talked to the kids on Wednesday night at a youth group. There was 26 kids there, and we talked, and we talked in Bible study about this as well. But we told them, we said, look, Jesus says the wise man builds his house on solid ground, and the foolish man builds his house on the sand. And we talked about how the foundation, Jesus calls the foundation to be him. And when you build a house or you build a building, the foundation is the part that if you get that part wrong, the rest of it is doomed from the start. And we told the kids, look, Jesus is not asking or trying. He doesn't intend to be the walls of your house. He doesn't intend to be the ceiling. He doesn't intend to be the roof. And he certainly doesn't intend to be the interior decoration. Jesus is calling his people to make him the foundation of their building. And he will not have it any other way. That's hard to hear, but he, he will not have it any other way. We're reading through the letters to the churches in Revelation. And when I get to Laodicea, I think of the same thing every time. John writes the letter to the church in Laodicea, and he says, you're either going to be hot or you're going to be cold. You're not going to be lukewarm. If you're lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. And every time I read it, I can't help but think he means what he says. It's not a game. He means what he says. Either he's fully, you're fully for him, or you're fully against him. You can't tiptoe around. He doesn't want to be the walls. He certainly doesn't want to be the interior decoration. Jesus wants to be the center of your life. And the worst, the, the, not the worst part, but the, the, the hardest part to accept about it is there is no medium. You either love him fully, or you don't. The crazy thing about it is this purpose that you were created for. You can live with purpose, and if your purpose is not Jesus Christ, then you're wasting your purpose. Can I just tell you that this morning? That may be hard to hear. Look, I don't care how much money you have. I don't care how big your family is. I don't care how many friends you have. I don't care how successful your business is. I don't care how much authority you have in your community. It doesn't matter. If your purpose is not Jesus Christ, then you're living without purpose. Amen? You're living without purpose if it's not Jesus Christ. I don't care what you've done or what you will do. And so if Jesus says your purpose is to love God and to love your neighbor, I believe that he means it, and we've got to take it more seriously. But church, I also see this in Paul. He says, I know that I'll remain. If I do, it's for your progress and join the faith. But then he says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. Church, do you know one of the things about the Lord that I, I fear the most or have the most respect for or makes me kind of get my act together sometimes? God knows what you do in secret. What's done in the dark will be brought to the light. He, he is not in the dark to what you do. He is also not in the dark to what you think. I want to tell you this morning that you could embrace death, you could live with purpose, and in action, in practicality, you could even put others before yourself. But God is not fooled when your heart is not in it. Paul says, I want you to have good conduct worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
I want you to be in one spirit. What that means is you can live with purpose. You can go and preach even. And this is, for me, this is especially, that's a lot of pressure. But I, I could preach the word every Sunday, day in and day out. I could do it four times a Sunday like we were doing last year. I could go and preach all over the world. But God knows my heart. I could live with purpose. I could accomplish a lot. I could feed as many people as I could feed and clothe the naked as much as I possibly could. But God knows when I'm not worthy of, his, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God knows my heart. So we not only are called to live with a purpose, but let me give you an example. If we're doing things for others, but we do it with a bad attitude, or we're doing stuff for others, and we're doing it because we expect to get something in return, even if it's just popularity or status, God knows. And so Paul says, I don't just want you to live with purpose and live purposely loving others. I want you to do so with good conduct worthy of the gospel. Do it with joy. Do it because you understand Jesus and you love to do it. When they see you, do they see Jesus? Church, hear me. I'm not calling us to be perfect this morning. But I am saying there's a standard. God doesn't expect you to live the exact same every day of your life. He expects you to grow. He didn't save you just to free you from sin and death. He saved you to give you abundant life in him. He saved you to transform you, not by your own merit, but through his righteousness. He gives you everything that you need to be more like him every day. He said, I send my Holy Spirit, the advocate, the helper. I send my Holy Spirit to help you in this process. You're not on your own because if you were on your own, you would fail. But the Holy Spirit dwells in your midst. You can. You absolutely can. Listen to me. I don't care how rough your life has been. You absolutely can live in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not because you're good, because he is good. That is the message. Finally, out of Paul's example, we see this. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you're going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Paul says, listen, you can do all these things. We're also going to suffer. You're going to have to endure. Live with purpose. Live, live purposefully loving others. Embrace death. Know that you have eternal life in Jesus Christ. But also know that you're going to suffer the same way that Jesus did. I believe that if we look at a Christ-centered life, we really look at it where we decide, you know, it's a big jump. Listen to me. Hear me. Hear me. It's a big jump. It's a big jump. Even as a Christian, you could be a believer right now in this service. You could have believed in Jesus all your life. But if you've been lukewarm, it's a big, hear me, it's a big leap to say I'm going to put him central. It's hard. It's not easy. It takes work. This is not a little mind shift change where today I'm lukewarm in Christianity and tomorrow I'm all in. This is a big leap and I believe that it is all or nothing and I believe that some people are going to be stubborn like me where it takes having a child and almost losing him to wake up to it, but I'm telling you it's a big decision. But I believe that what Paul is saying is whether you suffer, no matter what happens, it is worth it worth it it's worth it because of the gospel message church i believe that we have somehow and i don't know how and i know it's not the gospel itself that's lost it but somehow in our hearts or in our communication of it or in just our perception of it we've allowed the gospel to lose its power and i know the gospel has not lost its power so it absolutely has to be us 
But what I'm telling you this morning, it's the reason you'll never hear, I hope you'll never hear me preach a sermon where the gospel's not in it. I believe that this is called the good news for a reason. Listen, I believe that having a Christ-centered life is worth it because of this. Do you really take in with fresh ears what it means that God, the creator of the universe... The creator of the universe, the heaven, the moons, the stars, you, your children, your family, your food, the world around you, the creator of the universe chose to love you so, so much that when you messed up, not him, you messed up, when the fall happened, it was our fault entirely, and he looked at our brokenness, and he loved you so much that he sent his son to die on the cross, not for shared brokenness, for our brokenness. It was none of his. He didn't owe us. He didn't have to do it. Fully out of his full, his free will and his love for us, he sent his son to die for you. And on the cross, he said, I love you this much. And on the resurrection, in the resurrection, he said, I have the power to let my love speak into your life. I'm freeing you from sin and death. I'm giving you eternity. I'm giving you purpose. I'm giving you a reason to live. Church, that's a big deal. That should be something that we are so passionate about that it burns in our hearts and we have no choice but to say, do you know this story? There are ministries right now that they go out in the street and their sole objective is let me just go to every person I meet and talk about Jesus. And sometimes, sometimes that's misused, but I believe it's misused because we share it in a way that it becomes a chore. No, what I'm telling you this morning is that your life should be so full of this gospel message yourself that it's overflowing so that no matter what you say to another human being, you are full of the gospel of Jesus Christ in a way that they look at you and they go, there is something about that person I want it. I'm not telling you to go to every person out there and say, do you know your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? There may be merit to that. But I'm saying that means nothing if your life doesn't speak it. That's a Christ-centered life. And if you're here this morning and you don't know that, I want you to know it is worth it. It is worth it. I'm to a point in life, and I'm young, I'm only 28 years old, and I'm certainly learning how to do this. But I can honestly tell you, that Christ at the center of your life, I believe, will pay off. I believe it's worth it, not because of anything. It's not going to be blessings and money. It may be. It's not going to be a prosperous life, but just because of relationship with God alone. That is the prize. That is the reward, being in relationship with God. And I would stake my life on it. Hear me. You could hold a, a weapon to my head right now and be about to take my life. I'm telling you, I will stake my life on it every single time that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior and that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I will stake my life on that. I'll give anything for that because I believe it is not just good news. It is the greatest news that you are ever going to hear. And I believe that if you really understand it, you will not have a choice but for it to change every fiber of your being. And as Paul said, I may die tomorrow. I may live another 10 years. Either way, I do know this, church. Time is drawing nigh. You don't have time to wait until tomorrow. You don't have time to wait to decide if you want to follow Jesus. Today is the day. 
Not because you should be terrified of hell, but because his love is worth it. Because every day that you don't spend in his love is a day that is wasted. That's why we choose to follow Jesus. He's not your ticket to heaven. He's the greatest relationship you will ever experience. He is what you were made for. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your presence this morning. God, I just want to invite you here, Lord, not that you need an invitation, but God, I, I just, I want to say we love you this morning. God, we are just happy to be in your presence this morning. God, I believe that if we could truly understand that you are here with us, God, if we could truly believe that you are who you say you are, God, I don't think there would be a person able to stand in this room. God, I think to our knees we would go. God, I don't think we'd be able to speak, Lord God, unless it is to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lamb. Lord God Almighty, you are worthy of all honor and glory and praise God we want to lift your name this morning and God I, I just pray this morning I believe in the power of your Holy Spirit God I believe Lord that not because of a word I could ever say but God I believe that I can extend my hand this morning and pray in the power of the Holy Spirit let a heart be warmed this morning and I believe that if there's anyone here this morning that doesn't know you Lord God that their heart at the very least is stirring and moving and feeling an absence of your presence and God, I pray in the power of the Holy Spirit that if even a one is here that's in that place this morning, Lord God, that they would respond to you. God, that they would know that you have given them the free will to respond to your grace and your mercy. You have given them a choice, Lord God. But I pray, oh God, by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would help them to make the right choice this morning. God, that you would lead them to pray this with me. Heavenly Father, I am a sinner in need of salvation. God, I believe that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for my sins. I believe that on the third day he rose from the grave. And that by placing faith in his death and resurrection, that I can be free from sin and death forevermore. Lord, I pray your blessing over anyone that just prayed that prayer with me. God, I pray that you would work in their hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit to transform and renew their minds. Lord God, I pray that you would plug them in. It doesn't have to be here, but God, that they would be plugged in with the faith community. Lord God, where they may grow and have the resources to know you deeply. We worship you this morning. God, as we continue in worship this morning, I want to praise you. Pray, Lord, if there's anyone here as we continue to worship that is still distracted or still burdened by something that they carried in, we'd remove it and allow them to enjoy your presence. We love you, Jesus. Amen.